The world is crazy, it's pretty clear. You need to know why, how it affects the lives of those we hold so dear. I can't explain everything, but together, maybe we can find our way. Aren't you tired of the violence, the hatred, the racism? We need a brand new day. And what about climate change, housing that's substandard but still unaffordable, and our public education system that favors some and leaves so many others behind? But who's going to pay? And then there are the jobs with wages so low they make you feel worthless as you struggle to pay the rent and all the other bills piled high. Yes, we need a brand new day. Is there enough hope among us to overcome despair? Enough wisdom to overcome ignorance? Enough generosity to overcome deprivation? Enough goodness to overcome all those who claim to be patriots but hate their government? We need a brand new day. That's right, a brand new day. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, only on WDIY, and I'm your host, Alan Jennings. Thanks for joining me for the Jennings Report on WDIY, Lehigh Valley Public Radio. We're in the middle of one of the most bellicose foreign acts of aggression in human history. There is a monster in Moscow. Vladimir Putin, the testosterone-charged thug who the Russians have allowed to plunder and pillage for far too long. This madman has poisoned his opposition, jailed countless dissidents, fumbled and bumbled the management of his economy. He's a liar, a megalomaniac, and he's a terrorist. The madman wants it back. The people of most of the countries in the European sphere are countries that were part of the Soviet Union at one point, and uh, Vladimir Putin has taken one of the greatest risks I've ever seen to take back land. Anything we do is seen by Putin as another belligerent act of an imperialist aggression by the United States. He's made it clear he's obsessed. His conflict could easily become the end of the world as we know it, and Vladimir Putin will be the one who is responsible for it. With me tonight is the gentleman from Pennsylvania, as he is called on the floor of the Senate. He's our senior member of the U.S. Senate and a very visible friend of the Lehigh Valley. He's also a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Senator Bob Casey, welcome. Hey, Alan, great to be with you. Thank you. You've been so accessible, Senator. I really appreciate it. I think it's important that we get you in front of, like all politicians, in front of people and help people understand the challenges of being a, a member of Congress or an elected official in any form in these days. It's just such a terrible challenge with so much cynicism and everything else. So I appreciate you for your service and your support and involvement and in work that uh, people here in Lehigh Valley are doing. Thank you. It's a, it's a privilege to have this opportunity to serve the people. And we know that this is a particularly challenging time, but but what's most impressive to me, Alan, is the unity I've seen. Yeah. Uh, you saw it the other night. Uh, you, you see it across the world, not just NATO, not just Europe, but across the world. And you're seeing it here at home. People that, that I disagree with on 100,000 issues, it seems, yeah. agree on this, that just as you outlined, this, this guy, Putin, is the incarnation of evil, and his aggression has to be stopped. And I think the... It's not, it's not good enough just for us to sit back and praise the bravery, the valor of the Ukrainian people. We've got to keep helping. I think what people need to understand is this is already a nuclear conflict. I mean, the only reason why we're not going in there and just cleaning that up and getting them out is because we're afraid he's going to use the nuclear weapons because people think he's crazy yep. enough to do it. Yep, and he's, I mean, he has no regard for human life. He has no regard for law of any kind, international law or otherwise. And unfortunately as um, inspirational and as important as that unity is that I spoke of, the hard part is ahead. It's going to get much, much harder here for the people of Ukraine and for our country as well, because 
this war is in its early stages. We're only in what it's early, and it's going to be it's going to be very difficult to watch some of the atrocities that he will commit. When you think through the situation, Putin's instability, his machismo, his need for attention, his disregard for the fate of his own people, the danger of the use of nuclear weapons, do you, do you see a way out of this? Well, part, part of it is that we, we initially, I think, when we're talking about it, we've got to be very clear about what's happening here because, you know, the statements that I would make that, that seem self-evident, that most people in both parties would make that seem self-evident, could also be the subject of misinformation, meaning that there's there are lots of platforms and venues where Putin is being praised in our country. You know that. Oh, my gosh, Even it's some, unbelievable. By a former president. Yeah. Goofy, goofy American politicians who, who should pay a political price for what they're doing. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that we had, when he was not the former president, he was the president. He stood on that stage in Helsinki and was licking the boot of uh, Vladimir Putin. That's what yeah, patting him on the back the and making president. sure everybody knows they're great friends. Yeah. That July of 2018 in Helsinki, Finland, I believe, will go down in history as one of the worst days for any American president on the world stage because he he was just genuflecting to Putin yeah. that day saying yeah. he didn't think Secret Russia did anything. I mean it was just it, it was it was so disturbing maybe it was more disturbing is not a very few very very few Republican politicians in Congress were willing to condemn Donald Trump then when he was licking Putin's boot yeah. And now, when he's praising Putin, they still won't condemn him. It's amazing. That it's... should be that should be categorically condemned. Yep. No American leader, Democrat, Republican, former or present, should ever praise Vladimir Putin. But that's so. We have to be very clear. Vladimir Putin caused this. It's a premeditated war. It's an unprovoked war. War crimes are happening all the all the time. And Putin already is demonstrating that. He may end up being the, the war criminal of this new century. They're targeting children. They're targeting, targeting civilians. They're hitting schools, hospitals. Yep. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And I, think that, I, think keep, I think we have to keep saying that because there's a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of people on, on social media who will, who will invent lies. Putin, Putin lies all the time. Right. His whole team lies. If, they're, if their lips are moving, they're lying. They lie every, every hour of every day. And we've got to keep telling the truth about what they're doing. Well, and, and, and so that, that's critical. Yes, yes. How, how do you respond to criticism that the situation demonstrates the need to further develop our own sources of oil? Do you buy that? How do you feel about that? Oh, I think you're going to have politicians and pundits try to score you know, points on some other issue on, you know, on energy. Look, America knows what to do. It's, it's no different than what it was months ago or years ago. We have to have the most diverse energy portfolio in the world, and the good news is we've we've started to do that. But the idea that this would somehow be the miracle persuade Americans that we don't need clean energy is crazy. We need yeah. we need lots more clean energy. Absolutely. But I think we're gonna I think we're gonna win that domestic debate. But in the meantime, look, we, we've I, I think the most important thing short term is to fully implement and, and put the pedal to the metal, so to speak, on these sanctions. And maybe add additional sanctions. Maybe sanctions that will make us uncomfortable. But we've got to apply the pressure right now, as I think the president has done masterfully, not only uniting the world, and that took a hell of a lot of work. Some people think that's easy. Yet, uh, you know, the former president wanted to 
wanted to take us out of NATO or at least undermine it, and which was really helping Putin. The reason Putin can do this now is because there was so he perceived disunity between and among NATO yeah. nations that turned out not to be the case. Well, when I think you watch he Trump, Trump it, it's not surprising. <laughs> yep. Well, and I think we—I just think it's going to be important for us to keep putting the pressure on on sanctions. I think we got to keep getting that military support uh, into Ukraine. The good news is when when President Biden announced 350 million the other day, those weapons to the Ukrainian military were were already you know this week already moving across the border and and into Ukraine. What is both terrible as well as inspirational at the same time is that the people of Ukraine are also going to be fighters. Yeah. People are going to be fighting in in their neighborhoods and their, in their homes and their streets to defend their families and their, their nation. So we have to make sure that we don't just focus on helping the, you know, the professional fighters, the soldiers. we got to help the people, too. So that means food and, and water and, and fuel and weapons and uh, all kinds of things because this, no matter what happens, and it's going to be terrible the next uh, couple of weeks, this is going to be a long fight in Ukraine, and we got to help the people throughout the duration of it. You're listening to the Jennings Report on WDIY and Lehigh Valley Public Radio. The familiar voice on the show with me tonight is Senator Bob Casey. Senator, historically, threats from outside have resulted in a kind of rally around the flag kumbaya moment. We sort of had that at the State of the Union the other night. Do you believe that your hyperpartisan colleagues over there uh, have been adequately fair and nonpartisan and in, in how they've been treating President Biden along the way? Is, is, are you satisfied with the, their level of, uh, of, of support? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> Look, Republicans, even this week, went on the floor and tried to offer uh, amendments or uh, cons- so-called consent requests to get something done to, to make President Biden look bad, hmm. to, you know, to, to propose something and then have Democrats say, well, we object to that for various reasons. And then so even even in the midst of this, uh, the early days of this crisis, Republican politicians in the Senate and the House are playing games. Having said that, uh, and it's important to say that I'm just going to be that blunt, there has been really strong unity. You saw it the other night. And Republicans don't stand up for anything when a Democratic president is talking. Right. But they did repeatedly, and that's good. Yeah. And it's important that we emphasize the unity rather than where, you know, some politicians acting like a jerk. I'm not going to, you know, I probably shouldn't have even brought up the former president, but I felt like I had to because of, of the way that he showed deference to Putin, and that's that's still hurting us. But but for the most part, there's been great unity, and um, I think the, the, the Biden administration would, would agree with that. Democrats and Republicans are standing together on this. And look, even people that we disagree with in our neighborhoods or our communities, our families even, you know, they might like whatever. They might love something and we we don't like it or they're arguing with us on on this or that domestic issue. We have to continually challenge people, say, okay, let's set all that aside for today or for this hour or this day or this, and and we got to, will you work with us to stop Russian aggression by this? this murderous dictator. Yeah. And I think I think in a lot of, you know, maybe not nine times out of ten when you have those arguments with people, but I think I think more than five times out of ten, you're going to see people saying, yep, we got to stop this guy. And uh, that's a good thing. We're going to need that unity, and I think that's playing out. And by the way, Alan, you know, that unity led to the imposition of these sanctions. I mean, yeah. the severe, just think about this, just a quick itemization. Severe sanctions on Russia's top ten financial institutions, blocking the, the Russian government's access to 
uh, more than $600 billion in emergency dollars that they had stored away, cutting off sanctioned banks from the, the so-called SWIFT messaging service um, in businesses outside of Russia, the export controls. Now, these are the, the effect of these won't be felt in the next couple of days or weeks, but over time, the export controls are going to hit Russia hard. They're, they're export controls on critical technologies and oil and gas hmm. extraction equipment. So those export controls are going to be significant, banning Russian flights from entering U.S. airspace, cutting off Russia's state-owned enterprises from U.S. investments. What about stealing the, the toys of the billionaires? Yep, exactly. That's, <laughs> That's a good one. We just saw reporting about what the Europeans are doing for those, uh, you know, to, to seize those yachts for the, the billionaires. So, look, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good things that are happening right now uh, with sanctions. I think we got to consider more, though. I, th- I don't think we should say we're done with. We got we got more sanctions that I think we can uh, we can impose. How do you, this so. is this is a you know critically important election year. All of them are, of course, but this gets uh, more important every day. How do you think this crisis plays out politically? I mean, this is one of those kind of things that you sort of whisper about. So asking you this on on radio might be a little dangerous, but um, do, I mean, what happens? Because I'm consumed by this. I don't want to see anything else in the news. I'm, I'm like I'm a, I am completely consumed by watching you know CNN. Frankly, <laughs> that's not intended as a plug for CNN, but it's it's balanced. Yeah. You know? Well, CNN's done a good job of covering. I've they been impressed by what they're doing. They they have people right in the the war zone, um, getting information in real time. Look, it's a um, it's difficult to analyze this through a, a political lens because it's it's just such a grave uh, crisis. It's a crisis for the people of Ukraine, obviously, but it's a crisis to to a large extent for all of us. Right. I mean, democracy's on the line. Yep. And, if, and, if you and, let a murderous dictator do what he's trying to do, then democracy is badly, badly undermined yes. in the world. Don't you, um, what can the average American do? I mean, I, you know, I stand there and watch, and you know, my whole life I've spent my, as much time as I could trying to intervene in the misery of other people and try to make their lives better. What, what yep. can the average? I mean, I stand there thinking, what well, I've got to do something here. You know, I don't know what to do. Well, I think part of it is to to continue, and not just the unity more broadly, but we got to continue to show solidarity with the Ukrainian people, and a lot of Americans have done that, but also with the Ukrainian-American community. It's, you know, in our, in, just in Pennsylvania, we're, we've, we've got about the second highest concentration, more than 100,000 Pennsylvanians at least, and that could be a low number, hmm. have roots in, in, in Ukraine and, and are proud uh, Ukrainian-Americans. So we've got to support them, and that means... And the glue, one of, one, of the, one of the things that keeps that community so strong is the faith community. These faith leaders are an integral part of the Ukrainian-American community. So any kind of support we can provide to that community. And I think there, 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 I was in, in Allentown the other night with uh, the Ukrainian-American community, and they, they want their government to do more. They're happy with the sanctions. They're happy with the unity. They're happy about the solidarity, but they want us to do more. And I, yeah. they give me an assignment to go back and do more. <laughs> so I got work to do. But, but I think that that's important. But also, even in a very personal way, just reaching out to friends of ours that might be Ukrainian-American, and you know, whether friends or neighbors or, or even, even family, and just say, you know, what can I do to help you and your family? What can I do to, what would you like us to do? The good news, I think, on this, Alan, is a lot of Americans have already begun this. They, they know exactly how to show their support and 
But Putin wasn't counting on that, right? Putin was counting on, oh, America's divided, so I can take advantage of it. Oh, America has, has high prices, so I can take advantage of that. Oh, NATO's divided, I'll take advantage of that. He, Putin was wrong about NATO. He was wrong about America. He was wrong about the resistance the Ukrainian people would give him. He's batting a thousand on being wrong lately. But I'm not going to underestimate, though, the, the brutality that's ahead. I, I, you know, Senator, I, I just want to kind of walk out of here and go to the Ukraine and join the resistance, you know? Yep. I mean, do you know what? Do you have any connections? Do you know anyone important who could give me a ride? Could give you a ride? Yeah, over to Ukraine. Well, <laughs> well I, I'm, I'm sure that, I'm sure that the, uh, our uh, State Department is, is probably fielding those kinds of requests I'm for sure people locally. I don't, I don't remember the, the, uh, the tennis star's name. I should know him, but the he is in yeah. Ukraine. Yeah, he's got he's, guts. He's willing to fight. Willing yeah. to fight. I mean, it's, it's pretty just, impressive. The former president. I've, I've just been. What's that? The former president is you know, you know, armed and on the streets just like the other average Ukrainians. It's, it's very impressive watching the Ukrainians. They they could teach us a few things about you know what it means to be you know committed uh, patriotic uh, people. You know. Yep. No, that's right. I mean, Poroshenko, who is a real rival of Zelensky, they're both on the same page on this. They're working. And they're right, you're right; they're on the street as part of the part of the fight. I'm just amazed, Alan. That, you know, some of the things that we heard just in the early days in Surat. I mean, the day of the the day after the attack, there was a Ukrainian quoted. Um, you know, I think it was the New York Times said, "quote This was the worst sunrise in my life." Just how? Just imagine that you have a a normal life, a secure life, and all of a sudden there's bombs going off in your oh, God, in your neighborhood. We just can't even imagine it. Yeah. I feel guilty uh, eating and going to bed in a warm in a warm bed. I mean, I just it's 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 terrible. Yeah. It's just terrible. Uh, you're listening to the Jennings Report on WDIY, Lehigh Valley's National Public Radio affiliate. This is uh, Senator Bob Casey. If the voice sounds familiar, Senator Bob Casey is my guest this evening. We've been talking about Ukraine. Well, let's talk about a couple of domestic things while we're while I've got you on the domestic front. How how bad does the affordability of housing, the crisis? I mean, in fact, I stopped calling it a crisis. I call it a disaster now. And on the domestic front, how bad does the housing affordability disaster have to get for the Congress to actually do something? I'm sure you've got that on your agenda, but what 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 has to happen? I mean, we we've got to get get control of the cost of housing. There are way too many Americans who are who are living in uh, on the streets, there are way too many in shelters, and there are too many that are right on the verge of losing their home. So what do you think is going on with the housing issue? Well, first of all, it would be just in terms of how we get things done in the Senate, it would be preferable and helpful if Republicans would join us on making the kinds of investments we need to make on a whole range of issues, including of course, on housing. Well, it's but, also been, um, a gap. it's been a huge target for discretionary spending cuts for years, HUD, you know? Yep, yep. No, and I'm, unfortunately, I think it's the case on housing, on, on, on so many important priorities like quality, affordable child care, home care that I've been working on for seniors and people with disabilities so they can get care in their home and the community. All of the investments that we need to make in families, in, in, on issue after issue, Republicans are willing to provide zero help, zero. I mean, they wouldn't even support, for example, the enhanced version of the child tax credit that we passed a year ago that, that made it possible for 2.2 million, or the children, I should say, of 2.2 million families to, to benefit from that child tax credit just in Pennsylvania. Just imagine that. That's, that's um, you know, more than 85% of, of the kids in Pennsylvania, their families benefited 
by by having at least from July to December roughly four hundred dollars, four hundred and twenty or thirty dollars more a month. I mean that kept people from going hungry. It allowed them to to purchase gasoline for their car or pay their rent or enroll their children in school activities. And it gave them a kind of economic security that wasn't just important, but it lowered the poverty rate by almost half. So Republicans were 100% unhelpful on that. They would not support it. Hmm. And they wouldn't support us on the, the money for schools to get them open safely. Now we got, you know, before the rescue plan, not even half the schools were open for in-person learning. Now it's almost 100%, about 90 a little more than 95% of schools open. So uh, Republicans in the Senate just don't want to make these investments for families, for communities. Most of them are against the infrastructure bill. Uh, so every bridge, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, thanking Republican politicians for the for, for that because they didn't vote for the funding for bridges or for high-speed Internet or, or better roads. But right. housing, housing is one where... Uh, both parties have not done enough over a long period of time. That's right. Yes, I agree. Uh, it, but, but I do think we have a chance, Alan, when we get back into negotiations on new legislation that will, that will speak to a lot of these issues. Housing uh, was an area where I think we had almost, almost total consensus that we had to make a, a significant investment. And the proposal at the end of the year, and we should, we should of course, make this part of the, the new negotiations, which have, which have to be restarted now it was to invest in housing up to 150 billion dollars so that would be a significant investment you know i stood in front of the television the other night watching the president and everything i said i'm like yeah that's right that's right who could disagree with this come on and and it was over i listened to for about two minutes the iowa governor and i thought oh here we go you know we're not going to get any of this done because they're not going to let us Mm -hmm. you know it's, it's frustrating. I don't. I don't know how you can stand going into work every day. I'm <laughs> senator. I, I just you know it's it, it's just it's out of it's crazy. Well, and just I mean, housing alone is just a, an example of that. I mean, you're seeing all around uh, uh, all around the country the, the 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 skyrocketing costs that families are, are bearing mm-hmm. just over the last couple of years, especially. And so you would think that whether it's a Republican community or a Democratic community, that this would be an issue that Republicans are hearing about. But if they are, they're not acting on it. And you know, it, it, people, it does get back to that family budget. People are blaming the president for inflation. Do, do you think that accusation is going to stick, especially during this, well, this upcoming a, election? I'd say this. The, the high costs are, are a real problem, and, and both parties uh, have an obligation to do something about it. The only problem, Alan, is that Inflation's a problem, but only one party's done something in the last year, and it's not the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. They, by by rejecting totally the rescue plan, and most of them rejected the infrastructure bill, but especially on the rescue plan, which which got schools open, got got uh, more than two hundred million vaccinations because of the rescue plan, and allowed us to have a have a, an economy that hasn't grown faster in forty years, and, and got the unemployment rate way way down. 200,000 more jobs in Pennsylvania were at a beat since the rescue plan. So Republicans have done nothing on inflation. All they want to use it as a, they want to use it as a political weapon. And if they're not part of the solution, I think that could backfire on them. They're just going to, they're just going to constantly talk about it and do nothing. 
Do you think the um, the president's nomination to the um, U.S. Supreme Court has any real challenges? I mean, my impression is that she doesn't change the balance of power, if you will, and so they're not going to make a big deal out of her. But then I also hear people calling her a radical left winger and everything else. Is that just politics? What, what do you th- what's going to happen with her nomination? Well, it, it's pretty hard for a Republican to argue against her. I know the, the I know Harvard else. educated. She's yeah. She went to Harvard undergrad and Harvard Law School. That's yeah. good. But it's even better to know that she graduated from both institutions with honors. Yeah, My God. that's incredible. I mean, I mean, I, yeah. I, I never had a shot of getting into Harvard because I, I didn't have the, I didn't have the aptitude to get in. Well, you, but you went it, to Holy it, Cross. It, I went to Dickinson. I mean, those are considered decent schools, no. but Harvard just squashes no, us. You know. <laughs> but it's one, it's one thing to go to a, a great school. That's great. But it's, it's a lot harder to come out with. with with uh, high grades like she did. So she proved herself um, academically as a young woman, and that's important when you're on the Supreme Court. But it proved herself over time uh, by her commitment to justice, over and over again, demonstrating that. And as you know, Alan, she was confirmed by the U.S. Senate and got Republican votes three times. Just last year. She was, yeah. yeah. She was confirmed to the the circuit court that she's on now. She was confirmed to the district court, and she spent she spent seven or eight years on the district court, and she was also confirmed by the U.S. Senate as the vice chair of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Hmm. So Republicans can't pretend that they don't, you know, they haven't voted for. They a number of their members have uh, three different times, hmm. so they're going to have a hell of a time making the argument against her. But as usual, most of them will just kind of play the. Uh, the political game against her, but she's a great nominee. Sure is. And I'm not going to assume anything. I'm not going to assume that she's going to be confirmed until she is. We're going to we're going to work hard to make sure that people know who she is, what she's all about, what her what her family has been about, and the great nominee that she is. She's as she's as prepared and qualified to be on the Supreme Court as anyone in 50 years. Senator, we, we're down to about a minute or so. Let me just ask you. Um, back to the conflict. Um, uh, you're a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Are you as impressed as I am by the American intelligence uh, um, gathering work that's been done over the last? Uh, I mean, I, I just I've been. I'm not usually a big fan of intelligence uh, agencies, but I think we've been doing pretty well, haven't we? Absolutely, and it's had a. It's, uh, first, we should commend them for doing that good work. Some of them doing it. I mean, the reason why they can they can deliver good intelligence is not because they came up with a good idea in the last couple months. It's because they've been working at it for years and decades and so many people that work every day to keep our country safe. I had some sense of that before, but I'll tell you, Alan, as a new member of that committee, I am amazed at what people do every single day in the United States and around the world to keep to keep us safe. I have a, a much heightened, much more heightened appreciation for what they do. And by the way, that intelligence was not just helpful in terms of telling the world what Putin was up to, but it's also been helpful in the conflict itself, in the war itself. Right. And I hope that will continue. It's obviously harder in war to transmit intelligence, but I hope that that will continue to be of great benefit to the Ukrainian people. Senator Bob Casey, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thanks for your time. And, Senator, thank you for your service, too. You've been at it for a long time. I appreciate it very much. Alan, thank you. I appreciate your your voice, and we need it, especially at these tough times. Thank you.
Stay with us following this brief break. I will be offering my final thoughts, a polite and alternative to calling it the Jennings rant. You're listening to the Jennings Report on WDIY National Public Radio for the Lehigh Valley. Stay with us. Spread the word about your business or organization to a well-informed audience. Become an underwriter with WDIY. Our lineup of NPR news and locally produced programs reaches thousands of engaged listeners in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. Underwriting on WDIY is an affordable and effective way to provide information about your product and services to people who care. To learn more about underwriting opportunities, 610-694-8100, extension 6, or WDIY.org. The following thoughts and opinions do not necessarily reflect the thoughts and opinions of WDIY, its affiliates, and or its staff, members, and volunteers. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. These are my final thoughts. You cannot watch the news of the attack on Ukraine by Russia and not be disgusted. I can't watch it. I can't not watch it. But I feel like a voyeur in a horror movie, except that this is real. The history of the Russian people is a history of the limits to which a people can tolerate oppression. Whether the oppressor is a comically incompetent czar like Nicholas, an intellectual revolutionary like Lenin, a murderous despot like Stalin, or an isolated KGB agent like Putin, whose pillaging has made him one of the richest people in the world, the Russian people have starved, frozen to death, and been left to rot in inhumane prisons. And yet they are loyal to the motherland. I can't explain it. Given that history, an up- uprising strong enough to convince Putin to abandon his mission is probably not going to happen with the Russian people. The madman has poisoned his opposition, jailed countless dissidents, and fumbled and bumbled the management of his economy. Now, it's important to know that the countries of Eastern Europe that made up the Soviet Union were part of Russia when Europe was engulfed in the First World War. In that war, millions of Russian soldiers perished, more from starvation and hypothermia than at the receiving end of a fired weapon. Russia was a critical ally of the West, including the United States, keeping the Eastern Front active and distracting Germany. Lenin and the Bolsheviks took power in this climate and quickly unloaded the burden of the war to buy off their withdrawal so they could consolidate power and nurse the development of a new nation. In so doing, he gave up one-third of Russia's arable land. That infuriated the West, and the threat of a communist country near Europe's border was of grave concern. At the end of the Second World War, as a result of the agreements negotiated at Yalta, the Soviet Union got their land back. They lost it again when the Soviet Union collapsed in the 1980s. Putin wants it back. The people of most of those countries will have none of that. Most have joined their former enemies by becoming part of NATO and the European Union. Today, those countries are all democracies. That makes Putin, Putin. He is a former KGB agent, a thug, a murderer. Even children are his victims. They've been shooting at schools and hospitals. He's a man with no morals, no conscience, no heart, no soul. Vladimir Putin may be the most dangerous person on the planet. His ego is bigger than the planet. He won't lose. Losing is not in the vocabulary of a KGB agent. And we know the price we could pay if he wins. Perhaps worse, we know the price we could pay if he loses. We need to understand this. Vladimir Putin is isolated and alone. He has no friends. The oligarchs use him. His military is underfunded, poorly trained, and of bad morale. What does he have to lose? And he's got some pretty scary weapons. Damn right the idea scares the hell out of me. This is a complicated world. With each of the choices we have, there are grave risks. 
the gravest of which is his ability to wipe us all off the planet. I'm not sure he would be remorseful. In my judgment, President Biden's actions have been measured and aggressive, and his long history of foreign policy experience has served him well. So our diplomatic options are diminishing. His military escapades can't be stopped. He has cheated to stay in power, so the citizens of Russia have little say. If NATO joins the conflict, he would like nothing more than to have an excuse to take back other Eastern European countries that they lost and have joined the alliance. So we have a few options. We can turn Ukraine over to the Russians, giving Putin a big win and a free pass to try the same tricks on Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and the other Baltic states that were once part of the Soviet Union. Keep in mind that China is watching. Second, we can wait them out, although people are dying. Third, we can engage militarily and end up with a planet that can't sustain life. Here's what I think. Assuming there isn't another monster in Moscow who is prepared to step right into the role of dictator and who thinks it's okay to slaughter civilians, even children, lie as brazenly as Putin, show no respect for his own citizens and is willing to blow the planet to smithereens, someone needs to take Vladimir Putin out. Ideally, our prospective hero would be in Putin's inner circle, someone who understands that it would be a humanitarian act of anti-apocalyptic scale and make him or her an instant international hero. It is killing me that I am a spectator to a country's innocent citizens being targeted in a despicable geopolitical conflict, utterly unable to make it stop. Let's hope someone in the Kremlin is sane enough to do the right thing. Those are my final thoughts. I'm Alan Jennings. This is the Jennings Report. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night.